0: Welcome back to the chasing Sunday podcast. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Brian Davis. I
1: am Paul Roman McLebbitt. man. Yeah. So nice. They named me thrice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they named me thrice. <laughs> How long did you think about that before? I just
1: literally just came up with that. Wow. That is I am that good. That's
0: amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, Hey, uh, thank you so much for uh, for listening um, here on Chasing Sunday. This is a podcast uh, for and by worship leaders uh, to help worship leaders get off the ministry treadmill and stop chasing Sunday after Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're so glad that uh, that you listen, and would love it if you could tell more people about us um, and and about the the podcast. Uh, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, this week's episode. Um, is uh my good friend Stephen Redden yeah. um, and uh, he is uh, just a, a brilliant man he's a he's a kind man um, and uh, yeah I'll uh, tell you a little bit about him um, he uh, was one of the founding pastors of New Denver Church uh, back in 2009 which is where I work uh, part-time and have uh, have partnered with them for for quite a while um, he recently uh, transferred to the role of pastor emeritus. Um, mm. that's a that's a big fancy word. It's our first
1: uh, pastor emeritus interview. I know. That's this
0: is it's a groundbreaking episode. Um it's yeah. And, so uh so yeah, he uh he still serves our community um and, and is very much a part of what we do there. Uh he's just no longer on staff and, and we dig into that a little bit uh in this uh in this episode. Um but what he's currently doing is uh, He's the Director of Strategic Projects at Merrow, um, which is a small business that starts and operates small businesses. Uh, it's very meta, very mm. meta. Um, uh, he also directs the Church Cooperative De- of Denver. Um, it's a local church network uh, that's run out of New Denver Church, um, and we uh, launched that in 2017. Um, he's a graduate of Mississippi State University um and Dallas Theological Seminary so he's a he's a DTS guy wow. um
1: yeah I have no idea that's uh, a well, yeah. you know based on where we where he goes in the interview that's a that's a far journey yeah that's a yeah. long journey from DTS <laughs> yep. to where he en- landed yep. Yep. yeah yeah so, fascinating yeah uh his wife
0: uh Kate live uh, just not far from, uh, from the church. Uh, they have two teenage sons, Ethan and Andrew, who are both awesome. Um, and uh, he loves football, um, which I do too. And, uh, and he also likes football. Uh, football the, the football. The, the European style of, European of football. Style. What, what we Americans would refer to as soccer. Soccer. Um, yeah.
1: So, it's like uh, the world's worst name. I'm just so- going to go on a record soccer. It's just I barely who who, who came up with that? Yeah. I think they were summarily shot afterward. They said yeah. that and then somebody shot them and then then the next person was like, "Actually, that wasn't such a bad idea. Let's just keep that." <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it is it is America. We already <laughs> had like no, we're going to we're going to call this game where we barely use our feet to contact the ball. <laughs> we're going to call this football sorry People who exclusively use feet to kick the ball, yeah. you're gonna have to. We're gonna have to call that something else, because we don't want to get people confused. Anyway, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> likes <laughs> Stephen likes soccer. Uh, he also goes snowboarding, uh, and he does consider himself a geek at heart. Yeah, so. Him. Um. So that's uh, that's a little bit about Stephen. Um. In this episode, we uh, we kind of dive into his uh, his faith journey, um, his employment journey, uh, his work in ministry, and and now sort of uh, on the periphery of ministry. And um. So uh, yeah. Uh, anything you want to say before we uh, before we dive into this?
1: Uh this one hit me personally. Like, oh, uh, I love it's. You know, I get a chance to hear from people who are just a little bit further down the road, Mm. you know, but have a similar faith journey. And then, um, it's just like the wisdom that comes from just that little click. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not like they're not 20 years ahead of me. They're not 30 years They're They're like just about 10 years ahead of where I am in age. And they're experiencing a shift that I'm on the beginning side of. Mm. So Mm. to see that gives me a, and to hear that from Steven gives me a lot of hope there you can hear there's so much grace in in how he approaches people on various stages of their their journey and oh. you know this is this is a one of the episodes that you know Brian uh, conducts the interview on his own and I'm not there so um I just really enjoyed being a a, a listener mm. and just hearing where where you guys go and uh it's a fantastic episode so so proud and so glad that we can present that through Chasing Sunday because there's not mm-hmm. many people who are who are um, giving a picture of kind of spiritual maturity um, in this way. It always seems like it leads back to, okay, but you're going to come back to ministry, right? Or, right. or you're going to come back to the church, right? Um, and it may and it may not. Uh, yeah. I think that that's the beautiful thing of what uh, Stephen sort of paints a picture for. I was super grateful for it. Yeah, and
0: uh, I, I as well, um, I've had a lot of conversations with Stephen like this in, in the past, um, but never, never recorded for a podcast. So, um, I hope that you are also able to find uh, some spaces of gratitude and, and, and wisdom in what Stephen has to share. So, enjoy this episode of Chasing Sunday with Stephen Redden. Stephen Redden, thank you. Brian Davis. Oh, that is my name. Uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the Chasing Sunday podcast.
2: Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah,
0: um, we've we've been in rooms like this a lot. Uh, we have just, just the two of us, not with the microphones and all that. At right. least I, you didn't tell me if there were microphones.
2: No, there's so. no there were no microphones. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fancy equipment for okay. this conversation.
0: Oh yes, yes. Uh, so Stephen, tell our. Uh, Tens of listeners, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, about Mom. a little bit about you, kind of your uh, your spiritual journey. Uh, you and I have worked together uh, for quite some time now at, at New Denver, but there was a, a long road getting up to there, so I'd love to hear at least the Cliffs Notes version, of yeah, that, of that story.
2: So, well, thanks again for having me. Yeah. Um, the personal sp- side of my spiritual journey goes all the way back to the beginning, there's not a time that I can remember my childhood that church wasn't a part of my life. Um, So grew up, um, now that I'm living in Denver, I tell people I grew up in the South, which um, (laughs) the long version of that, I was born in middle Tennessee, just west of Nashville, a really tiny town, uh, and then moved to Mississippi when I was in uh, elementary school uh, and then after college, went to college in, in Mississippi and uh, at Mississippi State, go no Bulldogs. And uh, <laughs> No,
0: this is not a sports <laughs> podcast. I'm yeah, just kidding.
2: <laughs> um, and then moved to Atlanta after that. So a uh, big chunk of my life um, up until I was in my 30s was uh, in the South. And um, growing up in Tennessee and Mississippi, my family uh, all were Baptists, mm-hmm. um, Southern Baptists. Right. so, um, I got a very particular introduction to the church um and so uh, accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, walked mm-hmm. down the aisle to just as I am when yeah. i was uh I think I was twelve years okay. old and was baptized and then, um you know I, I sometimes say, like looking back, it feels like in my spiritual journey um my the faith tradition I grew up in kind of made the starting line the finish line, yeah it was sort of all about salvation and right. um you know, from there, it, it kind of felt like, well, now you're saved. Congratulations. You get to go to heaven when you die. Right. But the rest of life, just mostly don't do all of these <laughs> things that the rest of the world is going to tell you are really fun, but they're really not. Right. They're really horrible, and they're sinful, yeah. and you shouldn't do them. Um, so and I tell people when I was, you know, after so after I came to faith and then started you know, going to youth group and trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Most of what we talked about in um, in the 1980s in my Southern Baptist youth group was backwards masking and what happens when you play your music backwards. And I was oh, like, I just really geez. like it when you play it forwards. Um, <laughs> and they really picked on my favorite kind of music, uh, 80s hair metal. Okay. So that was definitely, I mean, Motley Crue's shout at the devil was not really appreciated yeah. as much yeah. in my youth group. <laughs> so anyway, that just left me with a really um bad taste for yeah. um what I would come to refer to as organized religion right. um so when I left for college and I had the option to go to church or not go to church, I just didn't
0: yeah so so uh, yeah you I remember you telling me one time like did you do a like a full on like secular music burning thing oh uh, yeah you, i got you did rid some of <laughs> you participated in something like that, I just
2: it wasn't That's, a group thing, but I do remember like that church youth group guilt of like I got rid of all my right you know, heavy metal. I like, threw it all away, and then later went back and bought most. of it <laughs> <again>. <laughs> But it was tapes the first time and okay. CDs the second oh, time, see, there so you go. so it was yeah. better. Right. Um, yeah, there was. I mean, there was definitely a lot of that that. Pressure to resist the culture, don't Mm. watch rated R movies, don't listen to secular music. Um, and this was the days like you could go to, you know, the Christian bookstore and if you like, oh gosh, yes. (laughs) If you like Motley Crue, you'll love Striper. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out they weren't as good. Um, (laughs)
0: But boy, were they fashionable! <laughs> oh, yeah, they definitely
2: had the big hair. <laughs> they,
0: they, they definitely took all those, all those tips from from the the secular bands. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so you're you're in college, you have the choice. Like, I'm I'm not going to go to like I'm just not going to go to church.
2: Yeah, I, so. I just didn't. <clears throat> I mean, I went a few times if I would come home or you know with friends. Uh, I had a roommate who was Catholic, went with him to yeah. Catholic Church. Um, liked those guys. They didn't have a problem with alcohol, the Baptists. Uh, right. Yeah, they served
0: like, it in church. They <laughs> served it in
2: church. Um, so yeah, I, I, my story's pretty stereotypical. I went to college and kind of um just lived the the free life of yeah. you know, just doing whatever was fun, and um would have told you a hundred percent if you'd asked me if in fact, I did have people outside of bars and whatnot in college uh-huh. walk up and ask you if you were to die tonight, where would you spend where eternity, you? Oh, man. brother? I would be right next to you because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. <laughs> Literally said that and, to a guy one night. Wow, um, um, because that was my—that was kind of what sure. I'd been taught. Yeah, you know, once saved, always saved. And so right. I was going to apologize to God for all the bad stuff I was doing at some point and yeah. come back around, but. Um, yeah, at that point, it just I was pretty disconnected from the church, um, yeah. and that that lasted all the way through college, and then uh, finished college and got a job for a big company. So I studied engineering in college, studied computer engineering, and actually um, was fortunate to get a graduate assistantship and stay around to do my MBA. Uh, and then got a job right out of college, right out of grad school, um, working for IBM in Atlanta, okay. big big company. I didn't really even fully know what they wanted me to do. I just knew that. I'd never seen that much money before, <laughs> how much they offered me. And so I was really excited about that and didn't know a soul in Atlanta, but picked up and moved and right. um, started my, my career. Okay. Um, so I was uh, 25 at the time. Wow. Yeah, 1996. Wow. 25, all
0: alone in Atlanta. So then, so you're working in in the corporate world yeah. uh, for IBM. Like at some point, you got into working at one of the biggest churches in. America yeah um, how how did that come about
2: yeah, so that that happened over a period of about uh about four years, so during this time frame, so I was working at IBM again making good money and did make some friends, didn't know anybody when I moved there but but fell in with a group of guys that I got connected to and just made some really good friendships and in a lot of ways, um that phase of my life, the first few years, was kind of like college, only mm-hmm. now we had money mm-hmm, so, yeah right. <laughs> So we could travel and um, just did a lot of fun things. And right. so I was having a lot of success in my career. I got some promotions and was doing well. Again, plenty of money, <clears throat> lots of friends, having a good time. But it just kind of – I I remember kind of thinking, so this is it. So, right. so I have arrived. Right. Like this is this is um, what everyone says you're supposed to work so hard to get to. And this is all right, but there was, there was a little bit of a sense of emptiness and – purpose and belonging. And I could kind of look ahead. I could look at my my coworkers who were older than me and my bosses mm-hmm. and, and kind of see where their life was headed. And it just felt kind of empty. Right. So I began what I call my quarter life crisis mm-hmm. uh, of just thinking about what what am I doing? And is this is what I want to do the rest of my life and where does purpose and meaning mm-hmm. come from. And I started um thinking about God again. Mm-hmm. So I think that that connection all the way back to childhood that that there is a God that 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 there is purpose and meaning right. and uh, hope in life and it's mm-hmm. rooted in him. Had um, you
0: reconnected to a, a church or anything like that at that no, point? No, nothing was all at all. Sort of this was just, this was all, I
2: started reading some, yeah. you know, some books and uh, kind of dabbling in just sort of spirituality, mm-hmm. you know, began asking just a lot of questions about why do I believe what, what I believe right. and, you know, realizing that I'd grown up thinking about things from a particular angle. So, you know, not a lot of like comparative religion stuff, but just, Reading self help books and you know, (laughs) new agey sort of stuff. Again, there was just sort of this percolating desire for meaning, meaning sure. And so, uh, I did decide to go back and check out the church again Mm -hmm. and thought, well, I'll just find the closest Southern Baptist church because that's what I grew (laughs) up in. And turns out not a lot changed in the decade that I'd been gone. Um, and so, didn't really love that church. I uh, went to a couple of different churches, Southern Baptist churches in Atlanta. Didn't really love e- any of them that I went to, but uh, a girl that I was dating at the time invited me to this little startup church. Mm-hmm. Um, it had just kind of gotten started, it was, and it met in the evenings on Sundays. And okay. it, was, it didn't even meet every week at this point, it was every other week. And oh, they wow. had these like fellowship groups that met in the off weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it met at a Baptist church okay. uh, met at D- Dunwoody Baptist church. And it was, it was North point community church. So I didn't know anything about Andy Stanley or who he was or Charles Stanley didn't know anything mm-hmm. about, about any of that. But yeah, that was, that was 1998 when I first attended North point, um, okay. when it was still kind of in its startup phase, yeah. they were building their building and, yeah. um, the, the relationship with the girl didn't last, but <laughs> kept going to church and. Got involved with the singles ministry and started going to some of those events. And um, I just started what I call my kind of my slow move back towards Mm -hmm. um, putting faith and putting a relationship with Jesus at the center of my life. Really understanding probably for the first time what a relationship with God Hmm. meant and what that could look like.
0: And what what did that mean? What did it look like?
2: Well, you know, it's funny, you know— I've spent a lot of my my life thinking about this, the word discipleship. What does it mean to mm-hmm. follow Jesus? And people will often say like, well, discipleship doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. We right. used to say that at North Point. Yeah. But really, um, I, I was discipled from a distance because I mm. was very wary of church. And so I, for a long time, for probably a year, I just attended on Sundays. I sat in the back, right. listened, I took notes. And um, one of the great things about Andy's teaching and I remember at the time was it was just really practical. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy said, "You know, you need to spend time every morning reading your Bible and praying." So pick a time and a place. Right. I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." Mm-hmm. So I did it, and as I started doing that I <clears throat> began learning, you know, the way he taught us to read the Bible and and try to begin applying it in your life, mm-hmm. things began to change in my life. I began to feel more of that sense of purpose and meaning, mm-hmm. and that there was beneath the surface of the things that I was doing was my, you know, the externals of my life didn't change a lot at that point. Um, it was making some new friends from church, but, mm-hmm. but still working at IBM. And, um, but it, I was thinking more and more about like how I did what yeah. I did and um, everything from, you know, how I thought about money and how I thought about my time and how I thought about, you know, how I was using my gifts began to shift and change. It mm-hmm. was, it was, a, it was as if I was just reorienting all of my priorities mm. and, you know, and that happened for the first year or so just by attending on Sundays and yeah. sitting in the back and listening and yeah. paying attention and actually doing what, you know, Andy was saying we should mm-hmm. go do.
0: Yeah. it's awesome. So, so then transitioning onto, onto staff there, like what, you know, it's this small. You know, yeah. At that point, you know, small little startup church, and and you're working. Oh, there IBM. was
2: 1,200 people there, then it wasn't oh, okay. small. Okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> That's, I, nobody can see the air quotes I throw when I say it was a startup, right? Um, because there was already you know over a thousand people attending this church. Jeez. It was huge. Yeah. Um. So the journey from from just being an attendee and beginning to put my faith first to being on staff at North Point. really, uh, it, I guess it began with this, this question of like, well, what is, what is my work matter? What is it, what is it adding up to? And Mm -hmm. I would say I I still had a pretty warped sense of what was important and what was valuable Mm -hmm. as it related to God and my work, which I think it came from my whole life of being in the church and sort of being told, you know, if, if you really want your life, to matter in terms of your work, you need to be uh, a pastor or missionary, mm. you know, like that, that <laughs> those are the really important jobs to God. Everybody right. else is just sort of secular jobs, just right. secular work. And, you right. know, you can give to the church and assuage your guilt, but, um, <laughs> but really, if you want your work to matter, you need to be a pastor or missionary. So
0: sure. uh,
2: not in that order, I, I ended up doing both. So okay. I started, uh, again, I was, I was, Discontent with my my job at IBM largely because I had this view that it that it that this sort of everyday business didn't really matter as much to God as, right. as spiritual work. Again, I had this very dualistic way of looking mm-hmm. at the world: spiritual and secular, you know, um, religious, non-religious. And so uh, I started looking into, um, you know, what would it look like? Are there any opportunities for to do technology work to support? what organizations are doing around the world in missions. And long mm-hmm. story short, I found an organization called mission aviation fellowship mm. that was doing some work in the former Soviet union. And they were looking for technology people mm-hmm. to help them build a platform that was going to deliver uh, biblical education to pastors and church leaders around the former Soviet union. Okay. And so just entered into conversation with them about what the project was like. And it turned out there was a lot of skills that I had that were things they were looking mm-hmm. for. And, did my application and, um, you know, applied to get support from North point and everything, you know, sort of checked out. And the next thing I knew was on a, on a plane headed to Kazakhstan. Um, (laughs) didn't even know where Kazakhstan was before they told me that was where I was going. So I spent six months there, um, building, you know, um, this hub network for, that was going to be used for the distance learning Mm -hmm. platform. And then, um, went on from there and set up another hub, uh, I lived in Moscow in Russia yeah. and then set up a hub there. And then one one in a small town called Krasnodar. So those were kind of the three, the hub and spoke yeah. system that I set up. So it was there for a year altogether. Right. And this was, um, 2000, 2001. I was actually in Moscow in on nine oh, wow. Yeah, which was an interesting yeah. perspective on that. Yeah. So I'm getting to the North point thing. So oh, that's fine. So North point <laughs> supported me with that whole year while I was gone Came back um, end of September 2001 and um, really had a few different options. I I could raise support again and go back overseas somewhere. MAF have had several projects going on mm-hmm. that they were interested in me and working on. And then um, IBM wanted me back. I had just been on leave of absence. I didn't really quit when I left. Okay. So I was kind of on a sabbatical, <laughs> of a sabbatical, their version of a sabbatical. Yeah. And so um, they were offering my job, me a job and – had some cool projects they were interested okay. in me working on, and then um kind of a, as a surprise the i mean North Point had grown really really quickly in mm-hmm. that in that year that I had been gone, and they were still doing a lot of things very manually they had not scaled a lot of their systems, so right. they offered me a job mm. to come on staff initially um in a support role doing i t mm. kind of stuff and um yeah it was I started dating um Kate, who would become my wife that mm-hmm. fall um and so staying in Atlanta was desirable so <laughs> uh, and and again, I just had this sense that really if, I, if my life was supposed to matter, I needed to work right. in ministry sure. and so job at a church check checked all those boxes right. so i right. started my my um career working for the church, yeah. So, so yeah. did you always
0: work in in i t for north point did you how how did that role no how that did, how did that, your roles end up changing there that
2: yeah that's a good, good question so that that transitioned pretty quickly so um yeah, started in that support role in i t and um one of my mentors who hired me, bill Willits, who was one of the founders of of north Point um he was really great um you know i I had talked to him before I left i b m about this this big transition and career switch and um, he had been a real help and mm-hmm. um he was over the the groups division at North Point, so small groups ministry. And um I went to him probably six months into working there. And I said, Hey, I still feel like I'm 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 kind of restless in what I'm doing and I wanna get more involved in what we're doing on the ministry side of things, but I haven't been to seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have this position open that we've been trying to fill, working with men's small groups. What if I applied for that? Mm-hmm. Would, you, would I qualify? You know, is that even would I, something I'd be considered for? And Bill said, yeah, when we hired you, we knew we, you weren't going to stay in that IT seat huh. for very long. So wow. I, I told him I wish, wish he'd told me that. It would, have, <laughs> would have saved me some sleepless nights. But uh, um, Isn't that just the,
0: like, uh that's. I've been doing a lot of just in my own time just trying to like go through some of my old stories and stuff like that that I've been told, you know, throughout my life and yeah. you know, childhood vow stuff and and all of that. And uh and yeah, I I, I realize I've had that same conversation so many times. Of like, oh yeah, well we knew this is what you were gonna. Right. It's like, was well, it's, anybody <laughs> gonna like let me in on this little secret? Like, <laughs> the, yeah. you're all like talking behind Brian's back about what
2: he's, he's going to do. Yeah, like, <laughs> we see it. yeah, we can see it. Yeah. <laughs> so Bill, Bill apparently knew that from the beginning, and you know he was really gracious, let me apply for the job, and I interviewed, went through the interview process, and got the job, and then felt like, well, now I I need to really. Take this seriously, if this is going to be a career switch mm-hmm. out of kind of the i t support business sort of world i i need to I need to go to seminary, so I started working on my seminary degree mm-hmm. part time and okay. um took me about four years to do a two year degree with dallas seminary, um which yeah. north point had a had a partnership with them okay. so that was really. Advantageous to be mm-hmm. able to, to do that. So, yeah, started working for the groups department and um, just sort of rode the wave of North Point's growth. When I came on staff, <clears throat> we were just starting our second campus, um, a third mm-hmm. was already in plan. So, Jeez. we were really quickly um, moving to this place where we needed leaders in the middle of the organization, um, mm-hmm. you know, as the founders kind of took on more and bigger chunks of leadership and we were just growing so fast in, in terms of staff and attenders and everything, um, I got a chance to ride that. And I think partly because of my <clears throat> business experience and having an MBA and understanding organizational leadership, uh-huh. um, they, they moved me really quickly into a management position. And I kind of joked, I think I think looking back, they probably appreciated my organizational leadership as right. much as my or more than my <laughs> spiritual leadership. So. I like to think maybe hopefully it was a combination of the two, but yeah, yeah, so I ended up, um, in a kind of leadership management role, um, leading, uh, eventually leading small groups at North Point for all campuses. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: what year, what year was that? Years was that?
2: Yeah. So, um, I switched into that, I took that, that role, um, leading small groups in 2002 and i was on staff uh at north point until the end of 2008 right. so really from 2002 to 2008 rode that wave and mm-hmm. <clears throat> moved up into leading first the single adult small groups and then ended up leading the north point uh small groups team uh, across all different demographics mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> we we had this um model it was a kind of a model where um you know, there was a North Point Ministries that, that was responsible for setting strategy and then there was campus leadership that executed that strategy. So I was um, I held both a campus and an NPM North Point Ministries role in okay. small groups. Um, okay. kind of overseeing strategy and direction for all campuses, but leading the North Point team. Okay. At the end. That was my last position.
0: Yeah. So so we're in we're in two thousand eight and and you and these two other Guys who are also on staff yep. at North Point um, get together, and you're like, "Hey, maybe we should plant a church." How did how did that little seed get planted? Uh, yeah, for for you guys uh, to to come out here, and you can talk about. Uh, I know that like North Point doesn't necessarily do you know church plants; they do strategic partnerships. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's changed so, a lot through yeah, the years too. Sure.
2: Um, so it probably goes back to um, probably 2004 five or six i can't remember exactly what year it was but um my friend troy fountain he and i were doing the dallas seminary program together and he worked in um youth ministry at at north point uh troy decided he wanted to go back home he was from dothan alabama la dothan lower alabama Uh, (laughs) wanted to go back and start a, a, a church and he basically said, hey, I, I want to go and I want to take everything I learned at North Point. I want to just copy everything and I want to go start a church mm-hmm. in Dothan. I just, can I get your blessing? And and to Andy and the leadership's credit, they said, well, let's talk about maybe if there's a way we can we can partner together. We've been thinking about this export strategy, like how do mm-hmm. we take what we've learned and this, this model we've created and share it with other people. So that was when the strategic partnerships um, department at North point was sort of mm-hmm. birth. And, and, um, so watching Troy go through that. And then, um, shortly after that, my friend Sean C who, uh, uh, worked with us in, in groups, he was over the starting point, small groups. He left to start Athens church in Athens, mm-hmm. Georgia. So I, I had these friends that I w- was watching going to start something new and, mm-hmm. and getting to stretch leadership muscles and, and, and have, some autonomy and and yet working yep. within the system that we had learned at North Point, I kind of thought that, that looks like that would be fun. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think really uh, my wife and I started talking about this idea of planting a church at the same time we were talking about um, can we get out of Atlanta? <laughs> we, we were kind of, <laughs> at this point we were starting to have kids. My first, my first son, Ethan was born in 2004 and mm-hmm. we were really talking about like, where do we want to be to raise our, you know, kids. Where do we want our kids to go to school? And we have to make this decision before you know. We mm-hmm. feel like we have this window. If we, if we are going to move, let's let's talk about doing that soon. We had family. Her family live lives still in Wyoming, mm-hmm. and so when we tr- would travel to visit them, we came through Denver a lot, and um, mm-hmm. just really kind of fell in love with the city. There's a lot to like about <clears throat> the city of Denver, and as we got to know um, more about the spiritual climate here, uh, just discovered. Uh, that there was a need, that people felt like there was a need for more um, leadership, mm-hmm. more people willing to come and start new churches and, and work in existing churches. It was a hard place um, right. where yeah. people didn't necessarily want to go to church, right. uh, but, but that also created opportunity. And so um, as that rose in our heart, we hired this guy on staff at North Point <clears throat> to work in our starting point ministry, um, which when... When Sean left, Jason Malick took that over, took over leading starting point, and he hired this guy named Norton Herbs, who had gone to Denver Seminary. Yeah. So as soon as Norton came on staff, and I found out he just moved from Denver, kind of latched onto him and <laughs> wanted to learn more about Denver, and just told him about this idea of planting a church. And, and so again, that was um, I think that was probably 2006 that Norton okay. came on staff and. um and over the years, Jason and Norton and I talked a lot about church planning. We all, all had the interest in starting a church, all had an interest in moving out of the Bible belt and out of the bubble, the North Point bubble, mm-hmm. and into what we were hearing from teachers and leaders around, the time, around this time. You know, this is about the time Tim Keller's beating the drum mm-hmm. that, you know, cities changed the world, cities are becoming post, post-Christian, <clears throat> we need people to go and start churches in cities. Yeah. And so we really imbibed a lot of that and um, believed it. And um, so I think it was Jason who in early 2008 went to Norton and I and just said, hey, we've all talked about planning church. What if we did one thing together instead of three things yeah. separately? And really quickly, early in 2008, we coalesced around the idea of moving with our families to Denver yeah. to start a church. Yeah. Uh,
0: And I I mean, I've often heard it said, and maybe you have said this before, and we're probably told this when you came here, like, oh yeah, Denver, this is where church planters come to die.
2: (laughs) Oh, it was terrifying. (laughs) I remember one meeting in particular, um, this guy, Hugh Halter, which if any of your listeners have been followers of missional movement, you'll know Hugh has been a really influential writer and thinker. He was in Denver at the time, and he had started a church called Adullam. And um again, he he wrote a, he wrote a book called The Tangible Kingdom that mm. was just all about um just the way we needed to reimagine church and discipleship and mission and um just a great thinker. And we sat down with Hugh and he scared the heck out of us. I mean, he literally <laughs> said, Hey, look, here's the first thing is um you need to stop spending money. Like you you got three pastors, three full-time salaries, mm-hmm. you're just spending money. You probably raised a bunch of money coming out of Atlanta. He said, But if you don't stop spending money, anchor yourself in a neighborhood just embed yourself there and get other jobs um learn how to stay here if you can learn how yeah. to stay you have a chance He's, you've got to figure out how to be able to make it here if you yeah. don't if you just go get your folding chairs and rent a, you know <laughs> rent a space in a strip mall and set them all out just like all the other people from Texas who come here to do that you'll be like you'll be like all the other church planters Sure, that come here and are gone within two years. He right. goes, Denver is the church places church plants come to die. Yeah, and I was like, I remember going home <laughs> and telling my wife, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what we've gotten ourselves into. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, but but you 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 stuck it out. I mean, we just what was it, last last Sunday like just celebrated, you know, thirteen years of of New yeah. Denver Church being around. Now I know like. So it's interesting when I first started working with new Denver um, and I will just change the title of this to the new Denver church podcast. Um, (laughs) When I first started working with new Denver back in like 2010 or 11 um, there, there was another church down in Colorado Springs that was also starting as a, as a strategic partnership. And, you know, I was, you know, there'd be some, some, I think there was even one one week where I was down there on Sunday morning and then came and led worship for you guys on Sunday night. Like these two, these two things that basically came from the same place could not have been more different. Yeah. Um, you know, there were, I don't want to say, and I don't know a ton about the background. You could probably speak to that, but, you know. This other church was doing like following basically like all the prescriptions that it seemed like North Point had laid out for their strategic partnerships. Like you're going to have, like we'll send you you know Andy's sermons on video. Like you'll just have a campus pastor that is just sort of overseeing everything and welcoming people and is that sort of you know that you know fleshy presence. Uh, that's I'm never never going to say that again. But um <laughs> uh but like you know and everything was very you know programmatic and like even all the like all of the children's ministry things, like it was all branded the same way that North Point did all theirs, all that kind of stuff, even down to like, these are the songs that they did at North Point the week that, you know, that Andy did this message. So these are the songs you're going to do. Yeah. Like, and then New Denver, it seems did none of that. So when, when did you guys sort of realize like, We need to sort of diverge from this path and and maybe sort of do our own our own thing for a little bit. Yeah, Um, where where did that where did all that come from? You know, it
2: happened before we even left because one of the first things we had to sort out, you know, with the leadership at North Point, which they they were incredibly gracious. I mean, I went to Bill, you know, me, my mentor, my boss in April of two thousand and eight, told them, you know, that was planning on leaving to start a church and you know and, and and of course, he had told me, you know I' had been discussed as somebody who could be a campus leader one day, and mm-hmm. so kind of said, "Hey, is this what you're sure you want to do and and when i when I convinced him that that was he was he switched to hundred percent supportive mm. and great." Um, but again, the question became, are we going to be a strategic partner? And for me, I think when I was on my own and thinking about launching out the idea of being within a system was very appealing. And Mm -hmm. again, I'd come up through North point in some ways I I was a, I was a product. Like Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was what North, I was, you know, at least part of the target demographic of returners, you know, people who've been away from church for a while and come back Mm -hmm. um, and are engaged through a new way of thinking about, about faith, um, so I had a, a, lot, of, a lot of loyalty and, and commitment. So that was sort of my default. But when Jason and Norton and I started talking about it, we said, "Let's let's just just talk about this. Like, let's yes, strategic partnership is an option. And there's a lot of things we love, but we may only get one char- one chance in our life to start a church. Mm-hmm. What's the church that we want to start? <clears throat> and let's let's look at and let's push on. What are the things that strategic partners are trying to accomplish, and what are we? wanting to create. And in those things, the same, are they different? <clears throat> and at that time in the strategic partnership world at North Point, it was very much a video venue model. It's was mm-hmm. what you described the, the guys in Colorado Springs were doing. And really what they were trying to do was trying to replicate everything that had been created in Atlanta and mm-hmm. North Point, pick it up and move it somewhere else. Under the assumption, I, I remember um, David McDaniel, who was leading it, he said one time. You know, everybody likes familiarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody likes drinking Starbucks coffee. <clears throat> it's familiar. It's it's you know that it, it's what they want. Right. This familiarity. So if we can give them familiarity in their church, mm-hmm. and we can create a predictable experience, then then we think we can help churches grow yeah. who struggle to to plant because they have to f- make all these decisions and worry about preaching. Like, let's take a lot of those things off um, of their you know, off their plate and and make it a little easier on them. The problem with that was, is Norton and Jason and I were, were, were theologically minded enough to know, like at the beginning of seminary, they text, they tell you context always determines meaning. When you read the scripture, sure. you have to understand this happened in a particular place with particular people at a particular time. So you can't just read it and do what it says. That's actually very dangerous <laughs> um, context determines meaning. And so for us thinking about, well, what are the similarities or differences between Denver and Atlanta? And, mm. and the more we got to know uh, about Denver, the more we realized it was a very different place mm. uh, from Atlanta. And so we just began asking, wait, shouldn't we have the freedom to make some changes or some differences? And, and one of the big differences is knowing about um, how important authenticity is in the city of Denver, mm-hmm. um, which, which is not a place that loves Starbucks. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a place <laughs> that, um, I mean, in general, we, you know, there are lots of Starbucks around, obviously, but, sure. but people love their little neighborhood coffee store and right. y- the uniqueness. Um, like that was just something we thought if we roll in and we set up and we show video of a, of a guy who's across the country that nobody here even knows or mm-hmm. cares. I mean, Andy, sort of Christian famous, but he's nobody in Denver Who's outside the church knows who he is, and he's a great communicator. But that that inauthenticity of having somebody preach via video is going to be more of a hindrance. So we we that was that was ended up being the breaking point because at that point there was a requirement that at least sixty percent of the messages had Mm. to be from North Point on video, and we just said, you know, I think there's three of us. None of us are great communicators, but we want to learn. We want to stretch that muscle, and we feel like that being authentic and being able to speak uniquely into mm-hmm. what's happening in Denver is important for us. So, yeah. um, at that point they were super supportive. They said, totally understand. It's probably better for you and probably better for us. I think they recognized we would have been a disruptive influence within, mm-hmm. um, within a group of churches trying to create the same thing. Here we were trying to create something different. Right. So we ended, what we ended up with was, um, Uh, You know, we brought a lot of North Point with us. Every Mm -hmm. Sunday morning in in New Denver, we still stand up up and say, um, you know, our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That was Mm -hmm. North Point's mission. And their mission has actually changed. They've changed the way they say it. I don't don't even know fully what it is, but it's still ours. So we we still say that every week. And that idea of creating a place uh, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome Mm -hmm. here, and really wanting to think about the unchurched um, the, the people who are outside the church and how do they think about our experience who we are um, yeah. in our environments and as individuals um, you know inside the church and outside the church how how are we thinking about that trying mm. to, trying to be um, that light in the community um, yeah. that still drives us i yeah. mean so there 's a lot of it 's funny there 's still a lot of north Point in us it just looks very different um, yeah. than than it looks in other places yeah. so
0: yeah uh, I, I want to. Uh, there 's a there 's a a big part of your story recently that I do want to get to because I feel like it's very important, um, but I, I I do want to talk a little bit about um, you, since we're you know. It, typically it's at least I think worship leaders that listen to this podcast. Um, you've done a lot of work and have encouraged me uh, to do a lot of work in the area of, you know, spiritual formation, uh, discipleship, things like that. I, you were the one that recommended um, that I, you know, check out the praxis and, and, and all of that. We've, you know, we've met, you know, regularly in, in your, your time uh, or our time working together here uh, at, at New Denver Um in terms of discipleship how do you feel like there's a a loss of that of that practice that practice of spiritual formation within the church uh and and what um what are the like what are the benefits of engaging in a sort of spiritual formation practice and having a a regular you know whether that's a one-on-one or whether that's a, a group thing um with you know with other people on your staff um like what i lost my way but what mm-hmm. talk about just that that benefit of spiritual formation and yeah. and, and and discipleship within <laughs> within the context of of being on a church staff because we we often forget that like oh i work here like it's just going to happen naturally right. you know which right it, it rarely ever does. No, you know, no. and so
2: nothing um, intentional ever just happens. Yeah, though.
0: and so just if you could if you could speak to that a, a little bit, just because I feel like that's you know it's one of the things that the torn curtain really wants to work on with, with worship leaders or help worship leaders discover is this like you don't have to lose your soul doing this job. Yeah. You know. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so w- what's kind of the the importance of of that to you? Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I mean, in, in terms of speaking to <clears throat> the church's success or failure in that, I think it's hard. I I, I have been really hard at times in the church, um, and then I think you spend enough time leading a church, it it, it has given me a lot of compassion and empathy for mm-hmm. the hard decisions that church leaders have to make, mm-hmm. and so um, so so discipleship to me is the main thing. I mean, to me, it's G- Jesus, you know, sends his followers out and says, go and make disciples, make, make followers. Um, you know, he wasn't really too interested in, in creating crowds. In fact, every time Jesus started growing his church, he would do weird things to try and kill it. <laughs> Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody went away, weirded out strangely. um, so, but there was this sense like he kept coming back to this this core set of people, the people who kept following him and 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 pointing them more and more into this way of living um, that was centered around him. And, uh-huh. and later, I think we see that after his death and his resurrection, we see that 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 we're invited into that as well. Mm. That that the that that idea of of death and resurrection is is what we're invited to as well. And so I think the process of following Jesus, the hard part is, really, if we're honest, it's, it's come, follow me, and die. Mm-hmm. And not just die, <clears throat> but die so that you may truly live. You know, the <clears throat> the verse where Jesus says, you know, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it, it, it can't really become what it was right. meant to be. I think this is the picture we have for our life. and And what's difficult for churches is... That's not a very appealing message, no. <laughs> <laughs> especially not in a culture where, you know, we're kind of told it's all about you and have it your way mm-hmm. and, and you're, you know, you're a good person and, and you just need to bring the good out in you and um, right. live your bliss and, live, live and your find your, life, yeah. live, find your best life. That's a really hard message. So I think church leaders have to have to, again, especially those who care about, those who are on the outside of the church Mm -hmm. those who are still seeking or trying to understand people who were where I was, you know, Mm -hmm. years ago uh, when I was just asking questions about significance, you have to begin by pointing them towards Jesus, like just pointing them towards Jesus. Like sometimes, I I don't know who originally said this, but I'll, I'll tell people this like a lot, just say, just keep seeking what's true and what's real and what's beautiful Mm -hmm. in this world. Um, don't don't worry about the religious aspect of it because I really believe if what we what we what we're told about Jesus through the New Testament is true, then if you seek what's true and what's real and what's beautiful, you you will find Jesus, mm-hmm. the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of confidence in in that of of allowing people to to pursue their own journey, and that looks different for everyone. And so every church has all of these people. Every you know, we'll just. Think about the Sunday gathering. Every Sunday morning there are people who are skeptics and who are outside mm-hmm. the church. There's skeptics who are inside the church. Like <laughs> just, just as many people are, you know, headed out the door as those who are entering the door. And we have to speak to where they are. Mm-hmm. And so the the Sunday gathering is just it's difficult to be able to do that. So we have to create other ways, um, personal ways of engaging with people. And this is where small groups have been really mm-hmm. helpful and influential. I, I would say really it was like gasoline on that fire I, you know while i attended for about a year at north point um just sitting in the back and listening it was when i got in a small group and began sitting down with mm-hmm. with people and getting personal about my life and my faith that really things began to change but <clears throat> i i think you continue along the journey and you figure out that <clears throat> the structures and the forms are are great and they're helpful until they're not right and that there comes a point where those structures and those forms, whether it's a Sunday worship service or whether it's small group ministry, um, just aren't working for you in the same way as they used to. Even the tried and trusted, like just get up and do your devotional every, do your quiet mm-hmm. time every morning. Sometimes that just feels dry mm-hmm. and dead. And that's okay. I think mm-hmm. recognizing that's a part of the journey um requires you i think to step outside and take a larger look at the the journey of faith of people across centuries and when you begin to look at you know St John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila and what 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 some of the the spiritual fathers and mothers have have taught us about this journey it's that that inevitably there's a place where you begin to hit a wall mm-hmm. and you feel this desolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to begin to understand you're not the first person to do that, mm-hmm. um, is important. Yeah. Um, uh, I had a, uh, so early on in the days of starting new Denver, um, I just, I was, I was almost 40 sort of hitting this point in my life, very against stereotypical midlife crisis kind of thing. But, um, We'd started this church. It was hard. It wasn't going super well. I had really young kids. I didn't feel like they were going super well. <laughs> I wasn't doing what, that great as a dad. I was struggling there. Uh, I'd been married you know for about seven or eight years, so that we were hitting some of those those inflection points in our marriage. and it was just hard and I started seeing a counselor and spiritual director, and I just remember her talking about most of the things in life where we see progress are changing things about ourselves, not Mm. changing things about the world around us. And that that's a cooperative process that is we meet with God and we surrender these things to him that feel like a death, Mm. that there is actually a rebirth that has happened, that happens and you become a new person. And I I feel like it was in that, in the crucible of failure of career, failure of parenting, (laughs) failure of marriage that, that I was driven to God in a way of just saying, I'm, I'm, I, I need, I can't do this. I, I can't figure out how to do this on my own. I don't need another small group. I don't need another self-help seminar. I don't, I don't need, I just need more and more of you. And and yeah. I think that's where I just began to discover <clears throat> the, the benefits of, of different kinds of practices and different ways of looking at surrendering my life. And, and so, um, you know, that began a journey, uh, that is still continuing mm. for me to this day and there's seems to be no no end to the depth of what's yeah. there but um there I have been helped by programs and by people who've guided me along mm-hmm. the way but thinking about like how would you create that for every person i remember john ortberg saying one time in one of his books about discipleship that that disciples are never mass produced they're always handcrafted and hmm. i think i think that's what's so yeah. hard about this is every person's story and every person's wiring and they're we're all we are all unique and have different paths and there is no church or right. program that's going to to do it for all of us and right. so the problem is to is to expect too much yeah. um yeah and and just to trust that it's it's Christ who leads all of us and right. and he is guiding us and if you If you seek, if you're looking for ways to grow, like things, at least in my story, things have, uh, and and in people that I have seen walk this journey, when when you're seeking and want to grow, there are things that appear, like people, Christ keeps throwing me a lifeline every time I think I'm stuck and, you know, not going to move forward, (laughs) keep finding some way. When
0: the student is ready, <laughs> the master will appear.
2: That's, oh. <laughs> that's one way to put it yeah. <laughs> I don't know something like that
0: um, so you have uh, I feel like this this does sort of lead us into this uh, this next great sort of transition in your life, um, which uh, you know when you first when you first told me about this um, I, it was sort of like, oh. Well, crap. Um, but when I told when I told Paul about it, he was like, "That's amazing." <laughs> um, so you sort of set for yourself an end date for for your time in at least paid professional ministry. Yeah, um, and uh and and you have you you're at that point now like you uh-huh. so just you know you finished your you ha- you went on a sabbatical this last summer as soon as you were done that you you transitioned out of your your staff role here at New Denver yeah. um and uh i, I I'm fascinated by this. I have become fascinated by it after I got over my disappointment of the fact that I'm not, you know, <laughs> gonna see you. We're not you coworkers know, yeah, anymore. Yeah, we're not coworkers anymore. Now we just have to be like, what, just friends? Friends? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so what, what's all that about? Like, what's yeah. up with that? Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I wanna, Talk to us about that process. Yeah how how did it, how did you get to that place and and what was sort of the, um, yeah what what got you there?
2: Yeah, so there's a story there, um, and it goes back <clears throat> um, seven years ago. Um, I had my first sabbatical. One of the great things about. Um, New Denver that I love is early on our elders came to us and said, we think we should have a policy for sabbaticals for pastors and for development. And and so they put some things in place just to make sure preemptively to make sure we were Mm -hmm. staying healthy. And so I had my first sabbatical in 2015 and right before going on that sabbatical um, I had a chance to go on a a Denver pastors retreat um, with some guys and we went up into the mountains and the speaker that, that weekend uh, was a guy named Mark Brewer. So Mark's kind of legendary in Denver church circles. Uh, helped start um, Cherry Hills Church early on. Then was part of Cherry Creek Pres. <clears throat> he was a pastor for a long lo- for a long time out at Bel Air Prez with all of the the, the fancy people in LA. Um, but Mark <laughs> came back to Denver at this time and was was starting a ministry there. And uh, I don't even remember. much more, much about what he said that weekend, except one thing he was talking about the arc of our ministry life and our Mm -hmm. work life. And he just said this word that just, it just stuck out out to me that this phrase, he said, most pastors stay too long. Mm. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? That sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, And it it had just so happened that there were two well-known pastors in Denver who had left their churches under Not direct. They hadn't done anything wrong. It it just the church had begun to. They were big churches, and the church kind of began to to to, to decline. At least from the outside, the the story kind of was that the elders were ready to make a change, and Mm. and they they left, not on their own terms, not even in the way maybe that they would have wanted to. But they were they were kind of forced Mm -hmm. out, and so there were these two pictures. And Mark talked about both of those, and so I just remember going into sabbatical and thinking about like what. What does that mean, and what what is the arc of my working life, and and how do I think about this work that I've done for the church? And there was some really unique symmetry um, where I realized I was forty four at that time <clears throat> of my first sabbatical, and I started my I graduated college and and started my first job 24, 25. So um, I, I turned twenty. I was twenty. Yes. Yeah, twenty four when I graduated and 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 then twenty five when I started uh, turned twenty five that first year at IBM and so it'd been like twenty years um, mm-hmm. working and I'd worked in the business world, working in the church world and then of course, the next question is where am I going to be in the next twenty years mm-hmm. and there's that realization of oh that's sixty four that's um you know I'll probably live that long, hopefully, mm-hmm. but um, what is the next twenty years going to look like and the way I started thinking about it was um, I have worked at, to this point in my career to do a lot of things that are about leadership, and particularly about leading other people, and and to f- to to be out in front in leadership. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was time to start moving to the back, to start thinking about how do I help other people? How do I turn around and look at leaders who are coming behind me and help them um, grow in their career, um, whatever it is that they're doing? How do I help? them think about what does it mean to lead and create opportunities for people in the church. So I came back and that was when we started. I I came back and talked to Norton about this and and Dan, who was on staff at the time. And um, we decided to start a church planting initiative Mm -hmm. with New Denver, which is kind of crazy because, you know, we're not a big church, never been a big church. um, And a lot of the paradigms of, of church planting we had were from, you know, our experience at North point, which is Mm -hmm. you get really big and then you carve off a group of people and send them and then, They become a campus or, you know, another church. And for us, we we didn't have that story. But but what we did have was um we had the uh the know-how we'd started a church at that point. So we were seven years in and kind mm-hmm. of felt like it was it was going well. And uh we could help understand that journey and through mentoring and development of young leaders, and we could help financially. We'd mm-hmm. been blessed. We we had more money in the bank than when we started and didn't feel like if you know jesus came back tomorrow we'd get bonus points for a big bank balance so it's like well, let's let's put this oh wait let's, that's
0: that's not how that works that's
2: not i, oh, I don't think shoot. so okay. best i can tell <laughs> um so we just we started this church planting residency and 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 that has been great we planted we planted two churches mm-hmm. west side church internacional was the first church a bilingual multicultural church in west denver that we helped start and then nova church denver which is a new church startup uh, in the Cap Hill neighborhood of denver, and so um and, and in doing that, also we started a um uh, a small network called the Church Cooperative to help some of these churches that we had started and other churches collaborate and work together and and that's what I gave the last seven years to it was really most of my work in the church was thinking about outside the church and thinking yeah. about other leaders and during that time, again, that question of you know what does it mean to stay too long and how, what is this arc and what is what is this journey of my career of working for church going to be and i began thinking about what does that mean for new denver what does it mean to 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 not stay too long and what does it mean to make space for younger leaders who are never going to have an opportunity because at new denver unless one of us leaves because, Mm. you know, we're a small church. We can't hire extra people. So, Mm. you know, the payroll dollars to actually hire somebody have to come from somewhere. So I'd been thinking about that and thinking about these sideline business opportunities that I'd had and, um, and whether those might one day grow into something that I would do full time. And Mm. long story short of that is my, my friend, Matt Thomas, who I've been contracting for, for the last four years, uh, came to me at the beginning of, um, of 2021 or, uh, I guess it was a little later, but, but last year, you know, 2021 and just said, Hey, are you going to do the pastor thing forever? Or do you have some more time you might want to give to some of the work? <laughs> Cause Matt's a sort of serial entrepreneur and it started some businesses and was just looking for help. And so, mm-hmm. um, I said, I think, I think I'm open to talking about mm-hmm. beginning to do this, like rolling into doing this more and maybe eventually doing it full time. So sat down and talked with Norton and Emily, the other pastor at New Denver, um, beginning of, uh, the year and just said, Hey, I think, I think I want to move towards, um, using this year as my second sabbatical year to be an opportunity to go on sabbatical in the summer and then come back off staff. So, Hmm. so we laid out the plan for that and, um, actually laid that out last year, end of last year. And then, um, I dropped my hours, Pretty significantly, at the beginning of this year, and then um, went on sabbatical in May, and came back in September as just a normal Christian, not a professional <laughs> Christian anymore. <laughs> just so. a
0: normal Christian,
2: and I will say, like in leaving, one of the things that I've that that I've been guided by, um. My friend J.R. Briggs, who's a pastor in the Philadelphia area, coached me through this process because he went through something similar. And one of the things he said is, you know, when you're leaving, when you're stepping into a, a role off of staff but staying in the same church, you can't initiate anything. You can mm. respond but don't initiate. And so that's been a real guiding word for me of mm-hmm. don't put your nose where it doesn't belong just because you started this church. You know, you don't, right. you're, you're, you're surrendering all of that authority all of that responsibility to the people that, you know, that are leading the church now. And so, uh, coming back, there's just been a sense of, Hey, I'm willing to do anything that I Mm -hmm. used to do in the past. Uh, and if I'm available and I want to do it, I will, um, feel free to ask. And so, uh, here we are six weeks kind of into that. And I think we're still feeling that out, but so far so good. Um,
0: so so like when your worship leader calls you at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning and says,
2: Hypothetically. I don't
0: I, hypothetically. If if the worship leader were to call you at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning and say,
2: I don't have anybody on Pro Center. <laughs> <laughs> I would be willing to say yes okay. to my friend yes. uh, out of no yeah, staff um, or contractual obligation, just because I want to help. Just because you want to help.
0: Yeah. And you only live like three minutes from the church. And I live three so. minutes from the
2: church, which will always be uh-huh. make me the last minute guy. Oh,
0: right. Right. So yeah. um Thank you for sharing all that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of any like any last little words of advice for for worship leaders or people on church staff who are feeling uh, you know burned out or or exhausted and tired. Anything that you would any words of encouragement?
2: That yeah, you would offer? I would say if you still love what you're doing and you still feel I, I don't like the word called. I, I preached my last my last series I did was all about calling and how the only real calling is the calling to follow Jesus and Mm. that sort of specific, um, direction towards a career. I, I, I think that can happen. I think it does happen far less than, 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 um, than maybe we think it does. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would just say if you feel motivated and passionate about the church Hang in there. Just, yeah. keep, we need good leaders to continue leading, to continue mm-hmm. leading worship, to continue leading and preaching and teaching and caring for families. Um, my leaving my job ha- was in no way an indictment of the local church yeah. or of being a pastor. I had 20 amazing years, mm-hmm. um, leading in, in the local church context for, from a staff position and getting paid for it. And I, I still think I'm a leader in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not getting paid for it. I'm, I'm, I have a different kind of job and a, I get to use those gifts that God's given me in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're feeling burned out and you're in, you're, in a, you're in a church situation, it might not be the church's fault. That's the other thing is I would mm-hmm. say, remember, remember that um, mm-hmm. Jesus' burden, his yoke is easy and light. And if you feel overburdened, it's possible you're carrying something that you're not mm-hmm. supposed to be carrying. So mm-hmm. um, that's the hard work um, that all of us have to do. Mm-hmm. um, to continue seeking him and to continue, mm-hmm. uh, in those moments of desperation to yeah. turn to him and to find him in new ways. Um, he's always there ready to throw the lifeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, keep doing what you're doing. The local church is in an interesting season and I don't, mm-hmm. don't know fully what's going on or what's happening, but mm-hmm. lots change it. Yeah. So, um, yep. it's an exciting and sometimes scary time. I I still, I still spend a lot of time with pastors and um, you know, I think perseverance is still the name of the game hanging in there and just, you know, our friend, Eugene Peterson, you know, long, (laughs) long obedience in the same direction. It's not sexy, but it's kind of, it's kind of what it's about. So hang in there.
0: All right. Well, thanks for taking the time.
2: Yeah. Thanks again for having me.
0: Well, that was, um, man, like I said, Stephen Steam is just a great a great guy. And mm-hmm. um and yeah, I a couple of things that hit me. Um mm-hmm. and these are things like I said, I, I've I've known Stephen quite a few years. Um and one of the things that he's always encouraged me uh to to recognize is just how nonlinear the faith journey is. Mm-hmm. Um that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't just have to be like i gave my life to christ and then i you know all of a sudden i'm in ministry and everything's hunky dory like you know the kind of the ups and downs and ins and outs of his uh of his faith journey uh, yeah. just always always stick out to me yeah. um and uh and i hope that's that's encouraging to to our listeners um uh let's see what else there was something that he well, said go ahead
1: well i just i was just thinking along those lines like what he said that it just it sounds so simple but it's not simplistic right he says just if you're pursuing what is true if you're seeking mm. what is true you're seeking what is beautiful mm-hmm. um then that's what you have to worry about that's all you have to care about right. like don't like just kind of leave the religious stuff off the thing. don't Don't think about, like, what are the religious applications I have to make? It's just like, am I seeking what's true? Am I following that sort of path? Um, Mm -hmm. That, to me, is both both affirming and this graciousness that just kind of says, yeah, maybe I don't need to um, belabor this so much. Like, Mm -hmm. I can get so fraught because I come from the evangelical tradition, which is just kind of a lot of... um, Am I in God's will? It's a lot of it's a lot of fear kind of thing. It oh, doesn't yeah. seem like fear oh, yeah. out the, on the top of it, but it's sort of like under the the undercurrent is like, oh, I'm never quite sure if I'm in the right path. I'm never quite sure if I've done something that's gone overboard or right. um, it, it's gone crazy. And there's this this pathos that's always right. there. Right. And I don't necessarily feel like that would be the way of Christ. That doesn't no. seem that because obviously what john says is that god is not in condemnation hmm. um that that is not the god we know right um so but yeah that's something that really struck out to me and and just the way he was talking and what he was saying in his yeah letter. well yeah i love that story he
0: said you know that he mentioned uh, about you know being asked by someone you know, kind of after his conversion experience, but when he was no longer, you know, kind of in church. I think it was in college, you know, somebody asked him, like, Do you know where you would die where you would go if you died today? You know, and he's like, Yeah. And he's like, Yeah. And just moved on. <laughs> it's like it's like, okay, cool. Um, that that certainty in the face of somebody trying to throw that fear at you, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, that was that was so good. Um, I loved this line uh that he said, um, the, the disciples are never mass produced; they're they're handcrafted, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and we don't. I don't think that that we like that, you know. Yeah. We so much of of even what we do as worship leaders, we want we want to do it on a massive scale. You know, yeah. we want you know we want all the people in the seats, and we want everybody to have the same reaction and the same response, and that's just not. That's not the way that, that God works in our hearts and in our lives, you know? Um, uh, so I just found that fascinating. You were really fascinated leading up to this interview by this idea of, you know, Stephen's ministry and date, yeah, you know, yeah. um, how, how did you feel about kind of what he said about that and, and, and that just that concept in general?
1: Um again, it kind of goes back to what you were just saying about um this uh disciples can't be mass produced right um when we place this burden on um this kind of utilitarian burden on following Christ mm-hmm. then it kind of crushes it, but we are to some degree pretty resilient, and we can go for a long time believing that we can go on without end, right you know, but when we sort of embrace these limits and we go. You know, it's okay if I don't do this. Um, I think freedom comes back into it. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. uh, So it was the current as I listened to his story and how it sort of meandered, and it's like in Kazakhstan and it's in you know in Georgia (laughs) and it's all these sort of things. I'm like, oh, why don't I give myself the same level of of grace Mm. of generosity um, when it comes to you know what I do for money and then what I, what I do for what, where I give my volunteering, where mm-hmm. I give my passion, my energy in other mm-hmm. areas. Um So even as he sh- shifts into the pastor emeritus role, that is like, I think this beautiful act of love, but also from the rest of the community at new, new Denver of trust, you yeah. know, in, in him and in the community and going like, yeah, we're, we kind of have this open-handed thing and that is that that kind of abundant mentality again i think is one of the most dangerous ideas in the world because it is so radically opposed yeah. to i would even put it in spiritual terms to the principalities and authorities of this world mm, mm-hmm. that are designed to manufacture that are designed to to um, make machines yeah. Out of humans, yeah, um, and and that is the the in, incredible evil that I see over and over and over again in history, mm-hmm. and um, so I mean I can I go off on it, but I I found that so exciting and so so full of trust that it was cool. It was really yeah. cool to hear. Yeah, yeah. I I was just reminded as you were
0: talking when I there was a, a church that I started at you know, a few years ago that was going through a a huge transition. Um, they were, you know, very, very traditional, very, uh, you know, they had a choir, they had an orchestra, um, and, and they were wanting to sort of shift away from that. And, you know, they, they brought me on, um, just kind of contract at first as they let, they let their other worship leader go, who was in his, you know, he was probably in his mid fifties at the time. Um, and I didn't see it directly, but I heard about it, you know, through the grapevine, like, Oh, you probably don't want to go read his blog. Um, uh-huh. you know, cause he was just bemoaning this, this idea that like, Oh, you know, yet another church has succumbed to the, you know, the, you know, young worship leader and the skinny jeans and the, you know, all that. It's like, I don't wear skinny jeans, but anyway, um, you know, the, the young worship leader who can do all the popular songs and, and, you know, putting another, you know, older musician out to pasture and all this kind of stuff. And, and he hung on to this stuff for years and years and years. And, you know, it, it's sort of the, you know, kind of the opposite of what Steven's doing. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, I don't need to get to that point. Like he, he realized like, this is, This is as far as I, as I feel like I need to go with all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. And then I'm going to, I'm going to move on. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as opposed to just like clinging to, clinging to all these things, um, and, and clinging to this job and clinging to, you know, all of the old songs and all the old ways of doing things. Um, you know, I, it just, it's, yeah, I, I don't ever want to clinging
1: energy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I don't ever want to be that guy, you know? Um, me too. Uh, uh, you know, he said as he is
1: in the midst of becoming that guy, but um, but <laughs> here's the thing that's fascinating is that you realize there's no way to escape it, right? That's what I see now. Is that as, right. as, as I was in that situation where I was telling a worship leader, you know, a couple, you know, what feels like a couple years ago, but now it was probably like more like you know, five or six, you know, and and saying essentially, like, hey, the church thinks you're too old, yeah, to lead worship. I right dressed it up in a lot of different language, sure. you know, where in branding and vibe and kind of people that we're trying to attract and all this sort of stuff. But essentially, it is like your you, way you look, the mm. way you sound, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. way you all that stuff from the stage we go is too old. Yeah. And and I go, oh, there is no way off that track. I'm going to be too old. I'm yeah. going to be whatever category you call too old. Right. Like, I mean, it's a, we have the word for, you know, of it now. It's ageist, but the the, sure. the reality is um, we are going to come to a place where we are either going to cling to something or yeah. we're going to let it go. And yep. the path of Jesus is always toward surrender, it's always toward letting go yep. and trusting for what comes next, even though you don't know what your skill set is or what is going to happen. You, you trust. And that can be done at any stage, at sure. any age of life, right? Yep. 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 So, um, uh, so yeah, thank you
0: to Steven for, uh, mm. for, for jumping in on that and, and, and being a part of this, uh, this season of chasing Sunday, um, this idea of disciples, uh, you know, not being, uh, mass produced, but being handcrafted. Uh, if, if that sounds like something that, that you want to, uh, Be a part of um, that. That's a lot of what we do uh, in the green room, uh, which is uh, the the coaching platform uh, for worship leaders that we've developed at Torn Curtain Arts. Um, It's a it's a slow, methodical process that that isn't for everybody, Uh, and it's not necessarily discipleship per se. um, But uh, but we just want to we want to help worship leaders get to a place of health. Um, and a it was a spiritual, physical, uh, emotional, uh, professional. relational, professional health, yeah, definitely um, all, of, all of those things. Uh, and that those are things that we cover in the green room. Uh, it's a one year uh, coaching cohort that uh, that we've put together. Um, we've got a, a group meeting now, um, but we are uh, we are slowly adding people and, and would love to to uh to have you worship leader be part of one of these groups um and so uh, you can go to greenroomleaders dot com to find out more about that and uh and what all is involved in getting registered to join one of those groups um and uh yeah anything else paul that that we want to let people know about
1: yeah you know um this podcast uh, is is a product of Torn Curtain Arts, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't just do this or The Green Room. We also, you know, there's a, another one of our podcasts, Future Christian, that we produce, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. It's, uh, you know, on a, up to like 120 episodes right now. Jeez. So it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really happen without people who believe without people who believe in our mission. Yep. Um who who think that, you know, there is more in our future than there is in our past. Mm. There is there is more of Jesus that we can discover. There's 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 even hope for the church being different than mm. the church that we understood and we under, mm-hmm. that we came from. So, um if you believe in that message believe in that mission or if you're you're curious about it you can also visit torncurtainarts.org um or you can if you like this podcast and this is something you want to see more of we want to keep having this conversation so Mm -hmm. you can just go to apple Podcasts, rate and review it seems like apple Podcasts is kind of the place that everybody pulls their Mm -hmm. their data from so doing the um the reviews or ratings on Apple podcast in particular yep. helps us mm-hmm. and helps more people find us. Um, yep. but of course you can listen on all the other platforms. Um, but, uh, there's, there's that. Um, but thank you so much, um, yep. for listening. Um, and, uh, have a happy new year. I know yeah. you're probably listening about Christmas time. Hope that Christmas was great and worship leader. You're not like super burnt out, by this time but that you (laughs) you're spending some time of rest with your family yeah um and and have a great 2023 we'll be back with our next uh, episode just after the new year um it's going to be fantastic
0: yeah merry christmas happy new year and uh yeah we'll see you in 2023 take care thanks for listening
1: Chasing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romaglevitt, with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your tax deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org.